Nothing. Now it's happening. All right, we're back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are in Kath Little's kitchen. The fire is burning, uh, the tea is steaming, and we've had some of Kath's delicious Christmas cake. So we're all set for good banter about the Mabinogion. So, Kath, what brought you to the Mabinogion and its various forms? I started telling, the first story I told was, began to start to tell or tell was The Lady of the Fountain. And I came to tell that because I went to a retreat, a storytelling retreat in Tinawith, run by Hugh Lepton and Eric Madden about 15 years ago. And the subject was, or the theme of all the retreats that they ran in those years was the matter of Britain. So when I arrived, it was late Arthur and we were exploring the material, walking the land, listening to the stories, sharing the stories together. And the stories were just randomly given out. Um, and I happened to pick up the Lady of the Fountain, not knowing it at all. And Hugh gave me the Chrétien version and um, the, the one in the, the Mabinogion. And I first told it then. And I loved one picture. I didn't understand it. But I loved one image, the image of the tree that bursts into flame and dies and then comes back to life. And when it comes back to life, it's full of leaves, then blossoms, and then birds, and the birds sing the best song. And that image of this tree that dies and then lives again was just so beautiful That's, that I decided I wanted to tell it. Also, I was really interested in the fact it was the Lady of the Fountain and I wanted to know about... I, fa I felt like the stories might tell us a little bit about the beliefs of people long ago, the way the animism of... Um, spirits in trees and wells and springs and rivers and the old gods and goddesses so that story appealed because of that as well I thought it might give me some little clue or way back or a, an understanding of old ideas of the divine it's a very beautiful image that you've, you've brought up for us there. And um, perhaps one of the big differences between the romances and the four branches is that in the romances you have these uh, stories which have images which are often not rooted in the literal Welsh landscape. You can't go and stand yeah. in the field where so, such and such a thing happened, yeah. which you can with many of the stories from the four branches. And um, you mentioned that Walking the landscape was an important yeah. part of what you did on this yeah. retreat. And I was wondering how you feel the landscape of Wales that we can walk in, yeah. walk through and inhabit. And these particular stories, the, the romance stories, how, they, how that would fit together for you. Yeah. Um, when we were doing the retreat, it, we were walking the landscape of North Wales, which of course is, is the fourth branch, it is the four branches of Mabinogi. But the romances, I think now you've said it, 
I realise that Rance's all start in Killian. And I've mm. known Killian since I was a little girl because mm. we went to, to the Roman amphitheatre there. So it's it's a place that I've always known and always loved. And, and they all begin there. They all begin in Killian and a place I know or have known well. So, and then they travel to the other world, but they start. And the, the, the romance that I'm working on well, that I am telling at the moment is uh, the one of Ennis and Geraint, and that begins at Killian, has the Forest of Dean in it, so there are real places. Mm. Killian, the Forest of Dean, and then Cardiff. Mm. So Cardiff is, is, is a named place in that story, and then the other world. Um, yeah, so maybe the, another reason the romances appealed to me was the fact they begin with Arthur in Killian. Somewhere very familiar to you. Very familiar and beloved, you know, a lovely place that I've always been fascinated by, Uh loved. loved. Um, Interesting that you've talked about the other world, because it crops up in the stories in various guises. And I think the whole point of the other world is that you can't say what it is. No. But just skirting around it and and getting a feel for it, what, what does it feel like to you and what's... What's its, maybe a simpler question is, what is its place in the stories? It's a place where learning can happen, understanding can happen, that cannot happen in this everyday world, a deeper understanding, a deeper knowing. It's a place that is like a dream. Dream is like a dream land. So it's a place of revelations and understanding, a deeper understanding can be gained in this place. So so the characters travel to the other world, they learn stuff and then they bring that knowledge and understanding back into this world. So the other world, they gain gifts through their difficult journey they they gain understanding that they can bring back and make this world and tell everyone about it and make this world better in some way. Maybe. No, that's that's a very, very interesting, cogent way of looking at it. And for today's listeners, it's quite hard to project back to what uh, a medieval audience would have yeah. thought of by Anun. Yeah. Because it's not a Christian idea at all. No. And it's very difficult for us to get a frame of reference for what they thought they were listening to. Um, what effect does it have on you as a teller to talk about it? Because when we're t- telling a story, it's real for the duration of the time that we're telling it, at least. It's, it's for real. Yeah. So, for you as a teller, and maybe for your audience, what do you think is the, or maybe not role, but what is what is a noon all about? Beauty. It's 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 so the images, the the things that happen in a noon, or, or like the tree, and also the tree where the oak tree where clay is is um, hangs as an eagle that and. And the apple orchard in the story of Emmett and Geraint, that 
they're all so strange and so powerful and so beautiful. I don't understand them. They're, I suppose they're mysterious and the mystery moves me and the not understanding but but being thrilled by the, the mystery of, of it and wanting to share that. It's a feeling, isn't it? It's a feeling of awe, awe and wonder. That's what it is. That's what you get when you go to the other world, to Anun in these stories, something too wonderful to actually completely understand, but to try to, to convey in some way through the story. You meet something just beautiful. Mm, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's amazing. Um, and now, if I'm not mistaken, one another thing that has brought you to these stories, particularly the Atlas of Fernand, the Lady of the Fountain, is the female aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if you'd like to talk about that. Yeah. I, so all the way through, all my stories, all the stories that I, I'm drawn to telling that mean something to me are stories with strong female protagonists. And sometimes I like to take on a story where, like, like, like the fourth branch, Ariandrot, she's always like such a baddie, and I just thought, well, what is going on? I really wanted to understand why she behaved like she behaved, and what the backstory was, not that we can know the backstory, but what I wanted to understand why she's portrayed as a villain, and to tell her in another way. So that was quite simple with Ariandrot. With, with Yada Safanan, she's... I suppose, the, yeah, I was, I, I was drawn to, to the story because of the strong female presence. And um, Elinette in, in that story is, is quite a wonderful character. She travels between the worlds and she's, quite, she's got quite a lot of power and she's very magical. It's also wanting to have an image of the goddess as well because of the old religions and I think there might be something in the stories that gives takes us back there to an older uh, goddess centered religion and their little remnants of an older belief where God was a woman when God was a woman so, and and I just want to tell, so in Enid and Geraint, I, I just like want to tell a story from the point of view of Enid, being a woman and wanting to, to tell it, to see it through her eyes. And with Enid and Geraint, um, I wanted to see the, the, the heroine's path as being heroic and how is it heroic, in what way is it heroic and... So, so sometimes you could tell that story as if she's, and it has so many bad things happen to her and she so suffers, but she's so passive. But I wanted to show that in that endurance, there is heroism, there is a strength and an ability. And she is, a, she is the hero of the story because of what she endures. 
No, that's great. That is really, really interesting. There's one more aspect I'd like to ask you to reflect on, please. <laughs> and that's you as, as a Welsh person, as a Welsh woman, mm, mm. telling these stories. Mm. Um, what's, mm. what's that all about? It's very complicated, really, because I'm a Welsh person, Cardiff, born and bred, without... Welsh wasn't... Um, is, oh, English is my first language. I'm a Welsh learner. I feel quite, although the book, The Mabinogion, was on the shelf when I was, when my father was interested in older stories, I didn't know these stories when I was a kid. And um, I only came to, like lots of people who are from outside Wales, came to The Mabinogion through Alan Garner, through the Art Service. And I just think, well, that's a real shame that we don't know the stories. So I suppose one of my reasons for telling the stories is so that more people know them more like they're more known and they're more valued I suppose because otherwise we'll get the situation of which we do of Welsh the Welsh language speaking the culture knowing all these stories and the the English speaking Welsh people not knowing their stories at all and that's shame so it's partly that but so sometimes I think It gets quite complicated. I, th I feel like I'm not really supposed to be telling the stories because I'm not a speaker. <laughs> They're not my stories, but whose are they? I don't know. But you do speak Who Welsh. Do? Yeah, I do speak Welsh. I do. But it's not... I, I wasn't brought up with the stories. So I am a Welsh person, which I have... I see the culture from the outside as well as from the inside. Mm. I suppose part of to being a storyteller is trying to get in, that's into that way of seeing through the stories. Yeah. So maybe another way of looking at it is to ask, how do I feel when I'm telling this story mm. to an audience, say, anything going to the artist if I'm not compared to how I feel when I'm telling an international folk tale or something mm, from the Grimm's not really different or something completely from Calvino different. completely 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 different whether it what what that different why that is I don't know whether it's because I've spent so long with these stories but I do and or whether it's the way I'm perceived you know when you tell them outside Wales that's what I people think it's simpler, people think, oh, Catswell, she's telling Welsh stories. Um, so there's that, it, it feels really different. I think maybe because they're myth as well, and other, I don't really tell, well, I don't know. It does feel really different. Maybe because of the place names, like Killian. Whenever I say Killian, and although, although I wasn't brought up with, Mabinog, I was brought up with Arthur, we had a little book of, like knights and probably Edwin Gellin was in there, like um, a little book of knights of the round table when we were kids as well. So I've always known about Arthur. So there's some places and names that I've always known. Um, it feels really different. It feels much um, per more personal telling the Welsh stuff. Great, Kath, thanks very much. Pleasure. That was fascinating. Pleasure.